Welcome to Public Historians at Work, a podcast series from the Center for Public History at the University of Houston. This season, we're examining how public historians engage with race and the roots of systemic racism in our city, state, and nation. In this special supplement, graduate students from the University of Houston highlight voices and stories from the Third Ward, a historic Black neighborhood at the heart of the city. Let's listen in. Today's podcast will be discussing the TSU student rights movement of the 1960s, and more specifically, the women who contributed to the movement, which led to the end of racial segregation in Houston, Texas. The process to uncover the names and experiences of these women in the archive was difficult. I saw their faces in photos and media clippings, but names and information wasn't available. Through these photos, I witnessed them sitting bravely at lunch counter of Wine Garden. I saw them holding signs of protest in front of Foley's, and I can acknowledge their presence and involvement in the events of the movement, but I cannot know most of their names because they aren't included in the archive. We have to wonder what are we missing in the historical record and memory about the 1960 student rights movement in Houston when the perspective and experiences of the black women involved haven't been fully discussed and documented. I was able to locate the names of three women who organized and participated in the TSU sit-ins, and today we will talk about their contributions and legacy. First, I think we need to start with where the sit-ins in Houston originated. And essentially, it came about as a part of black college students on Texas Southern's campus observing what was going on in the rest of the country. And they started in North Carolina and then they moved into the Atlanta area, Nashville area. New Orleans was absolutely par- uh, paranoid. Essentially, the impetus for action on our campus came from a news report from uh, covering then Senator Johnson, who indicated that the blacks in, the, in Texas were essentially complacent and therefore probably not prone to that kind of activity. And that was a clip of Holly Hogerbrooks, who we'll discuss more. But first, let's get some background in history on what the student civil rights movement of the 1960s was. In February of 1960, four African-American college freshmen protested segregation by sitting at a lunch counter reserved for white customers only at a Woolsworth in Greensboro, North Carolina. They came to be called the Greensboro Four and undoubtedly inspired the national wave of student protests to follow. In Houston, college students at Texas Southern University were already meeting with professors and community leaders to discuss the national events. A group of 13 TSU students formed the Progressive Youth Association, and just two days later, on March 4, 1960, they led their first protest. The group of students marched one mile from the TSU campus to Wine Garden's grocery store on Almeda. What started as 13 quickly grew to dozens more by the time they reached the entry door. 
They sat at the lunch counter reserved for white customers only and peacefully protested racial segregation. Wine Garden would be the first of many protests, sit-ins, and boycotts to follow. Six months after the first protest, around 70 Houston lunch counters had desegregated, followed by the department stores, theaters, restaurants, and hotels. We not only had wine gardens, we had a, a Hinky and Pilot store that was about four blocks that way, a Madding's drug store, which is about four blocks uh, south on Almeda that way. We had gone into the wine Walgreens store on Main and Elgin and into the Woolworth lunch counter on Main and Elgin and were beginning to dispatch Foley's downtown and uh, the Woolworths downtown. It had become kind of a military thing. I mean, we had soldiers, you know, we had people lined up. But these great achievements weren't without frustrations because the local media would not cover the protests or talk about the public desegregation taking place. The students involved were not happy about this because they felt that national coverage was necessary for the success of the movement. Little did they know that the local black and white community leaders had begun negotiation with business owners and planned a media blackout to lower the chance of race riots and violence. These backroom negotiations helped to achieve the goals of the student movement, but in the process, they hindered the momentum of groups like the Progressive Youth Association, denying them a voice and national recognition. It also had a lasting impact on the historical record and memory of the era. How much was lost because the stories, names, and achievements of these students weren't properly recognized at the time? From a series of meetings on campus, meetings that started essentially with uh, some of the people in the law school, like Otis, uh, Eldery Stearns, who was involved early on, and Jesse Purvis from the pharmacy school, my brother Pete Hoggerbrooks, who was a pre-law student, and uh, it just kind of gravitated then through the entire undergraduate area. Today we're focusing on the women of the student rights movement in Houston. So who were these women? Many unknown, but we can recognize three of them. Holly Hogrebrooks, Deanna Lott, and Halcyon Sadbury Watkins. Holly Hogrebrooks was a founding member of the Progressive Student Association and one of 13 TSU students to plan and participate in Houston's first sit-in protest at Wine Gardens in 1960. By 1961, she was working with the Freedom Riders to desegregate the train stations. She was jailed at least twice for her civil rights activism. And after college, Holly became a journalist at the Houston Informer and the Houston Forward Times. She was also an instructor at Texas Southern University until retiring in 2000. She passed away in 2016. Deanna Lott was the daughter of Mabel Lott, Dean of Students at TSU. Deanna was a college junior when she marched to Wine Gardens alongside her classmates. And after the initial sit-in, Houston's mayor formed a biracial committee to discuss the issues raised by the students and leaders of the Black community. She was appointed by the mayor and the Progressive Student Association to represent the TSU students. She was the only female in the committee. She graduated with a degree in social work and later became a professor of social work at Texas Southern University. Today, she is retired and still resides in Harris County. Halcyon Sadbury Watkins was a founding member of the Progressive Student Association and one of the 13 students to march from the flagpole at TSU to Houston's first sit-in on March 4, 1960. Halcyon completed her undergraduate studies from Texas Southern University. She then attended veterinarian school, becoming the 11th black female veterinarian from Tuskegee University. 
Dr. Watkins is now a retired professor from TSU and Prairie View A&M. Although brief, these narratives offer a glimpse into the contributions and experiences of these women. However, much still needs to be uncovered and told about their story. I'm happy I was able to share with you today the names of three women whose leadership and activism changed history. But hundreds of people were involved in the student rights movement in Houston, which means many women are left unnamed. Many of these names may be missing from the archive due to the media blackout surrounding the events. However, the women involved in this movement and their experiences should be known. They deserve their legacy and to be recognized for their contributions to ending racial segregation in Houston, Texas. In 2010, 50 years after the TSU sit-in at Weingarten, a Texas historical marker was dedicated to the men and women who participated in the student rights movement. This marker is located at the site of the first sit-in, which is now a U.S. post office. Thank you for listening, and for more information on the TSU student rights movement, please visit the Texas Southern University Library Collections or the University of Houston Library Special Collections. Also, a special thanks to John Schwartz for use of audio of Holly Hogerbrooks from the This Is Our Home, It Is Not For Sale documentary collection. Thank you for joining us for this special episode of Public Historians at Work. For more stories from the Third Ward, check out the oral history collection in the University of Houston libraries at digital.lib.uh.edu. To learn more about the Center for Public History, find us online at uh.edu slash class slash cph or on Facebook and Twitter at uhcphistory. Remember, we are all keepers of our history.